LFA UFC last weekend. A huge weekend ahead of us. Clarissa Shields steps into the cage for the first time. Douglas Lima's putting his title on the line. And there's two huge rematches going on inside of the Octagon. Welcome to Cage Minds MMA Show. Hi, I'm Micah Frankel. Let's look back at the best from last weekend. LFA 109, Shawnee, Oklahoma, and a crazy main event, the lightweight division, Terrence McKinney versus Michael Irizarry. And what you had was McKinney, the fast starter, of course, coming out hard as he always does. Again, continuing to throw the combinations, looking for his offense. Finally, Irizarry, getting tired of taking shots, rushes in for his takedown. They're going to the ground. Irizarry has double underhooks, and McKinney is able to get his hands up under into the armpits of Irizarry and rolls through on the takedown. McKinney is in the Irizarry full guard, is able to break away from the Irizarry wrist control, and starts unleashing a barrage of right hands that leaves Irizarry out cold. Another, another first round finish for Terrence McKinney in incredible fashion. In the co-main event, Justin Wetzel took on Askar Askar. Right away, Wetzel took Asgar off guard by level change right hand, scoring a knockdown from that moment. It was a relentless ground attack for Wenzel to the point where he had Asgar in a triangle, nearly finding the finish at the end of the first round. Into the second round, keeping up that high wrestling attack, Asgar found himself stuck on his knees and trapped there. Wetzel pounded his way to the finish. That position would be a theme. It also happened one fight prior as Edwin Cooper Jr. collected the second round TKO of Hobson Jr. It was the same position, getting stuck on the knees. It's that old wrestling ride position. You're supposed to grab the wrist control and stand up. It sounds easy, but it's easier said than done when you're getting punched in the face. Two big finishes from the same position. It was almost like deja vu. Then Saturday, all eyes were on the UFC, UFC Fight Night in Las Vegas from the Apex. The heavyweights in the main and co-main event. Main event, Jainia Rosenstruck versus Augusto Sakai. Two heavy hitters. And from the moment the whistle blew, Rosenstruck came out and took the center of the octagon and announced his presence in authority in the matchup, having that octagon control and using his aggression and leg kicks to keep Sakai off balance. Sakai was stuck skirting along the farthest part of the octagon and trying to skim the fence the entire first round. In the waning seconds of that first round, Rosenstruck took his opportunity to really pounce, went with the left hand to the body, then poked that left hand upstairs twice with the straight shots having Sakai's line of sight going down the middle, Rosenstruck took the opportunity to go over the top with a big right hand for the knockdown. Couple more shots on the ground. Herb Dean is jumping in. It's another knockout. That's 12 of his 13 wins by knockout. And in the co-main event, it was Walt Harris versus Marcin Tibura. Harris came out on fire, unleashing his strikes, 
punishing Ty Burrow for the first two and a half minutes, looking like this was going to be a quick knockout. Ty Burrow was able to battle his way back, get into the clinch, secure the takedown, and that's when everything went downhill for a Walt Harris who was pounded into the ground from back mount at the four minute six second mark of the first round so the big boys did not disappoint neither contest gets out of the first round other interesting fights on that card a fight of the year contender between Santiago Ponzinibbio and Miguel Baeza these two went back and forth in a crazy fashion Baeza with punishing leg kicks and Great offense throughout the first round. Ponzinibbio was taking a beating into the second round where it was more of the same from Baeza. But in the waning moments of the second round, you saw Ponzinibbio finally decide to move forward. Start to unleash his strikes. Going into that third round. I felt like it had already been too much good work from Baeza. Five minutes of winning the first round and three minutes, if not more, of winning the second round. A valiant effort to end that second round from Ponzinibbio. But it felt like most of that round was won by Baeza. To a third round where Ponzinibbio needed a finish, but again it was the younger fighter, Baeza, working the leg kicks and starting off more aggressively. As it did in the second round, about the halfway point, of that third round, Santiago started to pick up his offense once more, started to connect with his leg kicks, and started to let go with combinations that were obviously making Baeza uncomfortable and forcing him out of the exchanges and go in a defensive pattern. We go to the decision, and it's a split decision. Two of the judges going with that second and third round in favor of Santiago Ponzinibbio. A valiant last two minutes in the final two rounds pulls out a decision for Santiago Ponzinibbio, who, after an eight-fight win streak, the knockout loss to Lee Jingleon, this one was huge to get a number back to the Argentine's name. No shame in a close decision loss. Also on that main card, you saw nasty ground and pound from Montana De La Rosa taking down Ariana Lipsky, getting the TKO in the second round. And when I say nasty ground and pound, we're talking about cuts on either side of the eye, profuse bleeding, a devastating finish from De La Rosa. The feature prelim of the night also had its own set of controversy. Alaire Latifi versus Tanner Bozier. In the first round, you saw Latifi get a couple takedowns, but not get much work done on the ground. The story of that first round would appear to be Tanner Bozier his being lighter on the feet, having Latifi chasing after him, and even though he wasn't landing the kicks flush, you saw a ton of high kicks from Bozier going into the arms of Latifi. So they may not have been hitting in the head, but they were definitely landing and taking some steam off of the returning punches. The second round, a huge round for Bozier with a right hook that scored a knockdown, nearly got the finish on the ground. Third round, a lot of good work from Latifi who got a takedown and finally started to up the volume from his ground and pound after really lackluster first round. The first round, there was ground control without any damage. The third round, there was damage. I was quite surprised to see a split decision go in the favor of Latifi, where it felt like the damage and the offense was definitely on the favor of Bozier in those first two rounds. 
another one that people had mixed across the internet but the judges felt fine across the board about Kamula Kirk versus Maquan Mirakani Kirk making the UFC debut on short notice Mirakani would get the takedown early you would see Kirk though doing more damage in the first round sticking beautiful right hands to the body in the second round he spent most of the third round on his back but the submissions were coming from Kirk, and Mirakani was also really just hunting control. That fight was earlier in the night before the Latifi fight, so there was even more surprise with the Latifi decision as Kirk would get a 30 27 and 2 29 28s. You would look at that scorecard and believe that the judges throughout the night were going to be favoring the activity. So there was some worrisome inconsistency throughout the night with the judging. And one more fighter that we have to spotlight, Manor Fjord, with a brilliant striking performance against short notice replacement Tabitha Ricci. The grappler was unable to get the fight to the ground. And you could see the difference on the straw weight coming up to fly weight on the week's notice. And the natural fly weight having the advantage. But the right hand looked great. And now with back-to-back -back knockout victories, hopefully Fjord gets an opportunity to get a ranked opponent couple headlines from around the MMA world. July 30th, Greenville, South Carolina, XMMA 2. First fight announced. It's going to see a pair of UFC vets battling it out in the Bantamweight division. Former flyweight title challenger, tough winner, John the Magician Dotson is going to be taking on Cody Gibson. And in France this summer, you will be seeing also a pair of UFC vets battle. This one will be a lightweight contest. Gitu, uh, Tibau Guti versus Mehdi Baghdad. Now in some UFC fights announced this week, July 10th, UFC 264 has added a welterweight contest. That's going to see Max Griffin against the former interim champion, Carlos Condit. Song Yedong is going to be meeting Casey Kenny in a bantamweight contest added to UFC 265 on August 7th. Paulo Acosta is out and apparently never even signed his contract, specifying contract negotiations and unhappiness with his pay. Acosta will no longer be, as it was speculated, fighting Jared Cannonier. On August 21st, instead, Kelvin Gastelum, Jared Catanier, that's the new main event for the UFC Fight Night on August 21st. And another main event announced, light heavyweights, Anthony Lionheart Smith is going to take on Ryan Superman Span. That one is going to headline the UFC Fight Night on September 18th. And a bad weight contest is also joining that card that will put Montel Jackson against Dana Batgrell. We look ahead to this weekend's MMA action starting off in Atlantic City on Thursday night. It's the PFL 2021 number four. And the main event is the MMA debut of the two-time Olympic gold medalist, the two-time full division boxing champion. She owns every belt in two divisions. Clarissa Shields journeys into MMA 
for the first time and welcome her to the cage is going to be Brittany Alkin, a plethora of competitive experience and high-level experience all on the side of Shields, who obviously comes in with a huge striking advantage, a huge pedigree advantage. Elkin is going to have to look to somehow drag this fight to the ground and use the jiu-jitsu advantage and grappling advantage that she has coming into this fight. It's the debut, and it's obviously meant to lead to bigger and better things. Enjoy watching Clarissa Shields on Thursday night. Co-main event, you got Anthony Pettis against unbeaten Alex Martinez. Pettis looking to rebound from a disappointing loss to Clay Collard in the PFL debut. Collard is down in the featured prelim. His pressure boxing style was too much for Pettis to handle. Pettis now has an unbeaten Alex Martinez on the other side. The... Young man, unbeaten, coming out of Paraguay. Won his PFL debut fight by decision over Loki Radzalov. And has victories by three different ways of chokes. And has gotten knockouts with punches and elbows. Definitely going to be the biggest fight of his young career. Also on the main card, Bubba Jenkins versus Bobby Moffitt. Moffitt, this is going to be his first fight of the PFL season. Jenkins pulled the big upset, taking down the two-time PFL featherweight champion, Lance Palmer, in his promotional debut. And also on the main card, Brendan Longhorn, who had an incredible debut knockout victory in the first event of the season, takes on Tyler Diamond, who has a great wrestling background, won his debut by split decision. On the prelims, the former champions who had tasted defeat for the first time ever in the PFL look to get back on track. Natan Schulte will be taking on short-notice opponent comes out of his very same training camp, American top team, former Titan FC champion, Hushman Fio, Will Lance Palmer is going to tangle with Jesse Stern. All the action is on ESPN Plus and ESPN2 as the lightweights and featherweights get in their second bout of the PFL regular season. Invicta FC is on Access TV Friday night. And it's an eight-woman Phoenix Atomweight tournament going on. What you have is eight women vying for the number one contender spot. The winner at the end of the night will be the next to challenge Atomweight champion Alicia Zapatella. So what you have is a one-of-a-kind tournament setup. The quarterfinals and the semifinals are both one five-minute round fights. And then you get into the finals where it's your traditional three five-minute round fights. How do we get the quarterfinal matchups set up? Well, traditionally, Invicta had done a random draw. This time to spice things up and to get a little more innovative, if you go to InvictaFC.com slash Phoenix Tournament, you can vote on who should fight who in the quarterfinals. Now... There is some incentive in the quarterfinals to get finishes. The fighter with the fastest finish in the quarterfinals gets to select their opponent in the semifinals. If there are no finishes in the quarterfinals, 
the semifinals will be selected by random draw, leading all the way up to that regular fight at the end of the night to crown a number one contender in the Adam Weight division. The participants will include Jessica Delboni, who's coming off of a split decision loss to the champion Alicia Zapatella at Invicta FC 44. Not to mention, also, you'll see Lindsay Van Zant, Jillian DeCourcy, Linda McHale, Katie Saul, Pauline Grandos, Tabitha Watkins, and Katie Perez, all vying for the title opportunity. Also on Friday night, over on Showtime, the prelims are on YouTube. It's Bellator 260, the main event. Douglas Lima defends the Bellator welterweight title against unbeaten Yaroslav Amoslav, 25-0. Lima, he returns to 170 to defend his title, coming off of the loss to Gegard Mousasi. A failed attempt to become a multiple division champion. Douglas Lima, incredible jiu-jitsu, one of the hardest kickers in all of MMA, one of the guys who is at the top of the list for being able to destroy an opponent with leg kicks. Just ask Rory McDonald about it. And don't forget that his uppercut of Michael Page was one of the top knockouts of 2019. A complete striker with jiu-jitsu skills and a big 170-pounder is Douglas Lima. On the other side, you have Yaroslav Amoslav, the challenger from the Ukraine, unbeaten, including 6-0 in Bellator, 9 knockouts, 10 submissions, versatile skill set. We've seen in Bellator, he likes to get his opponents and be able to drag them to the ground. That includes beating wrestlers like Ed Ruth, Logan Storley, and getting wins over veterans like Eric Silva and David Rickles. This is definitely going to be a full task for Douglas Lima, but I do believe that the champion has the more diverse skill set, and the name of the game for Lima is being able to stay off his back. You always wonder if that weight cut is going to hurt him. We always talk about Lima being a big 170, but you could see a difference in that 170 year when he was up at 185, that that size was not quite middleweight size. Talking about a little bit of not quite size. Going on five pounds north of the welterweight limit is where the co-main event takes place. Paul Daly, the knockout artist, 43 wins. 34 of them by knockout. Taking on the ass-kicking machine, Jason Jackson, who presumably, outside of Amoslav, is the number one contender in the welterweight division. Putting that label on the line here in a catch weight bout. Daly has found a resurgence since catch weight bouts. Now 3-0 at fights at 175 pounds, unable to make 170 and having had some scares trying to get down to the weight. Knockouts of Syed Awad and Sabah Hamasi coming into this fight where Jason Jackson a big victory in his last one over Neiman Gracie on the A big victory over Neiman Gracie is what caps off a four-fight win streak, not to mention a decision over Benson Henderson 
great kickboxing and striking, taking advantage of his long frame at 170 pounds is what Jason Jackson brings to the cage. You also have Aaron Pico, talented wrestler, dynamite in his hands, also back on the main card. And on the prelims, two fights that I really love. Opening up the night at 205 pounds, Alex Pizzoli, former LFA champion, against Gustavo Trujillo. Both guys are finishers. Pizzoli, six of his seven wins are finishes, three knockouts, three submissions. Trujillo, three wins in MMA, two knockouts in the submission. Two wins in bare knuckle boxing, both by knockout. These guys come to finish. And in the featherweight division, he was part of the featherweight World Grand Prix. Taiwan Claxton, who won his pro debut by flying knee, takes on unbeaten Justin Gonzalez, the Colorado fighter, longtime Sparta Combat League champion, and LFA featherweight champion, a powerful puncher with incredible takedown defense. And Saturday, the main course, the UFC is in Glendale, Arizona. It's a championship doubleheader of rematches. The middleweight title is on the line in the middle in the main event, and the flyweight title is on the line in the co-main event. Israel Adesanya, 13 weeks after losing to Jan Blahovic, trying to become a double champion, returns to the octagon to defend his 185-pound championship against Marvin Vittori, who just nine weeks ago capped off a five-fight win streak with a decision win over Kevin Holland. These two fought just over three years ago, back in 2018. 18 and a fight that was the split decision. Vittori more than willing to stand in there and trade with Adesanya showed a granite chin being able to take everything that Adesanya offered and believe me Adesanya lit up Vittori. There were some great knees, great elbows and just some killer punches that did damage around the eyes and opened up a cut around the right eye of Vittori. So to my mind left no real room for question of who did more damage in that fight. But it was a very decisive third round where Vittori was able to find his takedown. And in Adesanya's only loss in MMA, the one that he just had to Blahovich, the fourth and fifth rounds saw the Nigerian stuck underneath the Polish fighter, a strategy that I would go out on a limb and say the Italian is more than going to try to replicate. If you're Vittori, you want to try to punch your way in the inside and chain wrestle. We've seen Adesanya do very well at defending the initial takedown. But it was the chain wrestling put together with the size and the strength of Blahovich that got the takedowns done just three months ago. Three years ago, when Vittori had success, it was the chain wrestling. Not the first, but the second and the third takedown attempt. And he's going to have to continue to be that tenacious at getting the fight to the ground if he wants to have success. Adesanya is fast. I mean, the guy processes fast, he moves fast, he puts out feints and fakes, and is definitely ahead of, so far, everybody he stepped in the cage with, where it's the thought process of the striking game. Where Blahovich 
had success, and Blahovich is the only one that's had real success for a sustained amount of time against Adesanya, was waiting in and also being able to cut down the middle with a steady dose of jabs. Kelvin Gastelum had success. That was getting in and waning with big hooks and taking advantage of the fact that he, like his training partner Vittori, has a chin and can take one to give one. It's going to have to be a dogfight for the Italian to come away with the title. Israel Adesanya came into the UFC with all of his wins by knockout in MMA after an incredible kickboxing career that included 75 victories. Adesanya can switch stances and he has incredible defensive awareness. If you look back at where he's got himself in trouble, he has such awareness that he'll be noticing things and he likes to do the dip and the lean. This leaves him open for the body attack, another place that Vittori can take advantage. We're on the other side, Adesanya should still be able to, like he did in the first fight, mix things up, freeze up Vittori with feints, fakes, and combinations, and the inside leg kick should be there all night. It'll be interesting to see, because they went all the way the distance the first time, if Adesanya pushes the pedal to the metal and looks for the knockout. Adesanya is the counter-striker, and I think he's going to allow Vittori to try to come in. We know that Vittori's going to want to get on the inside, and I have a strange feeling that I believe that Israel's Adesanya is going to allow him to in hopes of catching Vittori and ending the fight early. It's going to be a tactical matchup, and for Vittori, this is going to be a challenging matchup. Yes, it is a rematch, so he knows what Adesanya has to offer, but Adesanya took his game to another level since that first meeting. Well, Vittori has been on a win streak since that first meeting. He hasn't fought a striker the same caliber of Adesanya. His last three wins coming against guys that you would call primarily grapplers or, in the case of Kevin Holland, a guy that had a glaring weakness in the takedown defense that did not press Vittori in the striking realm to feel any sort of danger. There was no danger felt against Carl Roberson, and you saw Vittori just maul Roberson and get to the ground. And we both know that Vittori and Hermanson were dueling to get it to the ground. So I think this is going to be a test for Vittori in a realm that he has not been tested in lately. And also coming from a win over Kevin Holland, jumping up to Israel Adesanya. It's a huge jump up in competition where Kevin Holland, with that loss to Vittori, has found himself out of the rankings, back-to-back losses to Brunson in Vittori where you got steamrolled. To now jump all the way up from a guy that you steamrolled to the guy that barely has been blemished and has been unstoppable at 185 pounds in Israel Adesanya. It's going to be an incredible main event. The co-main event, I said it's also a rematch, the flyweight title. Brendan Moreno challenging Davidson Figueiredo. The two met at UFC 256, which was just three weeks after both had got victories at UFC 255. It's a five-fight win streak, three wins by submission, and a knockout for the reigning champion for the Brazilian Figueiredo. Moreno, it's been a colorful path for him to get to title contention. In 2019, he was cut from the UFC. 
then got an opportunity with the LFA to throw Michael Perez, who Benil Dariush has been campaigning for to get his opportunity in the UFC. Moreno beat that guy. Two more wins. Got an opportunity against Brandon Royval, and that led to a short notice opportunity to become the champion three weeks later at UFC 256. A fight that the scorecards were hugely dictated by an early vicious low blow from the champion that incurred a point deduction. If not, I believe the scorecards would have worked out in the favor of an end still champion. So many questions to be answered from this fight. Moreno was able to eat the best and biggest punches from the hardest puncher at 125 pounds. Both guys were more than willing to do battle on the ground, where no one was able to hold down Figueiredo on the ground. Moreno had some success, but we ended the night still with Figueiredo on top doing significant damage. How will the full training camps? And how about how will the lack of back-to-back weight cuts influence this fight? Moreno can have the confidence going in that he ate the best punch that Figueredo had to offer. It's probably the right mindset to be telling himself that he did eat the best punch that Figueredo can bring. It's not what I believe, though. I believe that the consecutive weight cuts hampered the champion. Figueredo is one of the bigger 125ers, cuts a lot of weight. I think that it was a huge deficit. He went against doing the back-to-back weight cuts, and I thought it was a golden opportunity for a smaller 125er like Moreno to capitalize. A guy that doesn't cut as much weight and who just naturally has a higher pace and a deeper gas tank. I do still believe that Moreno has a deeper gas tank, but the advantage that he had coming in was that he'd be able to press the pace against a tire Figueiredo, where now he has to deal with a fresh Really fresh, hard-hitting Figueiredo, making that one entertaining. Both guys, incredible chokes, a grappling base. When it comes down to the striking, though, here's where I see the power of Figueiredo being too much for Moreno to be able to handle. Well, Moreno may be tricky, and he does come in with that reach advantage. In the feature fight, it's going to be the first time we see this. It's Five five-minute rounds. It's not a main event, and there's no title on the line. It's Leon Edwards and the pull of a superstar like Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is back for the first time since we saw him lose the BMF title fight to Jorge Masvidal after the doctor stopped the fight with his right eyebrow basically falling off his face. Leon Edwards is returning a couple months after an unfortunate no contest against Bilal Muhammad, the vicious eye poke that led to the end of the fight. Right here is an opportunity for Leon Edwards to make his presence announced to the world of MMA, to the people that buy the pay-per-view, and to make his case for why he should be next to fight Cameron Usman. Usman had already said he's done with Colby Covington. He maybe like to give Michael Chiesa an opportunity. Haven't heard any movement on the negotiations of an Usman-Chiesa fight. So that gives you all the anticipation that Leon Edwards has the opportunity to jump in there and make himself the number one contender. It's been an incredible win streak. There's been a lack of momentum. And then we know COVID took away what momentum Leon Edwards have being trapped in the UK. 
This is a huge opportunity to go against the volume striker and Nate Diaz. It's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a back and forth one. Look for the kicking game of Leon Edwards to make the difference. Mentioned below Muhammad. He's also going to be on the main card. He's taking on Damian Maya. Maya's won three of four. We haven't seen him in over a year since a knockout loss to Gilbert Burns. Ended a three-fight winning streak. Well, Muhammad on the other side. That no contest from the eye poke. Before that, a four-fight win streak from Muhammad, a former Titan FC champion. Great fundamentals, wrestling and striking both alike. He's going to have to rely on that jab and anti-grapple to stay out of the realm of Damian Maya. If he can force the fight to stay on the feet, I see an easy night for Bilal Muhammad. In the lightweight division, you have Drew Dober versus Brad Riddell. In the featured prelim, Riddell... Three-fight win streak inside of the octagon. The opportunity to bust into the rankings here, taking on a Drew Dober, who as long as he's kept the fight standing, has shown the big power in his hands and in his kicks. It's been when the fights have hit the ground that Dober has had his troubles and has ended up getting submitted a trio of times in the UFC. This one stays on the feet. Look for a big performance from Drew Dober. And in another fight that ended in a no contest due to an illegal, what was this? Illegal knee to the head of a down opponent. Eric Anders and Darren Stewart get a chance to finish what they started three months ago. It looked like Anders was going to be on his way to a victory. And then the illegal knee to the down opponent. You're sure these two middleweights are hungry to finish what they started. Also, we can find out who will be the next contender for Valentina Shevchenko. Lauren Murphy takes on Joanna Collarwood. Murphy was mentioned by Shevchenko. This is her opportunity to grab hold of that number one contendership at 125 pounds. Well, Calderwood lost her opportunity. This is her chance to get right back in the title mix. Murphy comes in a four-fight win streak. Started off her MMA endeavor, more of a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and her striking has developed by leaps and bounds. Well, on the other side, Jonna Collarwood was the number one contender, lost that in a loss to Jennifer Maya, now has battled back with a decision win over Jessica I. Collarwood is a Muay Thai striker, her teeth kicks, her low kicks are incredible. She does great work in the clinch. So this fight can get dirty. You're looking at the striking very close with a lot more experience on Calderwood's side. But the way that Murphy has progressed, more than likely she'll be able to be competitive in the striking realm where Murphy's jiu-jitsu is far superior from what we've seen of Calderwood be able to handle herself on the ground. Calderwood has shown gains and improvements in her offensive grappling, but still looks to have some holes in the defensive side. It's a pivotal one at 125. I'd appreciate it if you visit cageminds.com. We have the results up from last weekend's two events, and we'll have the results up for everything this weekend, not to mention a special interview coming out this week. And keep up with Cage Minds on social media. It's Cage Minds Combat Sports News on Facebook, 
CageMindCSN is on Instagram and at CageMindsMMA on Twitter. Thanks for watching.